Welcome to Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at the Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm Halili, owner of The Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate at Dendros Group. As we continue on part two of our legislative wrap-up, we're going to continue to talk about the voting rights restoration that happened in Minnesota with the recent legislation. All Minnesotans who are not currently incarcerated for a felony conviction are now able to register to vote. The first such Minnesotans registered at a ceremony with Secretary Simon earlier this year. Uh, Eligible 16 and 17-year-olds are also now able to pre-register to vote, becoming automatically registered the day they turn 18. Last episode, we talked with uh, former uh, Ramsey County Commissioner Tony Carter just around some of the um, aspects kind of communally around how important this legislation is and the history of uh, disenfranchisement of folks for many different reasons in our country. Um, But we're going to talk a little bit more about the grassroots and the kind of how we got here in this legislation, which is why I'm very excited to have our special guest, uh, 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 abolitionist, uh, uh, a a fighter for justice on the street himself, um, uh, Brother Jason Soule. Brother Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Good to see y'all. I mean, I know. Thank you. I won't be able to see y'all, but it's good for me to see y'all faces. For real, man. <laughs> for real. Breath of fresh air. For sure. For sure. So um, welcome to Counter Stories. We're, we're, we're so glad to, d- to dive into this a little bit deeper here in this part two. Um, and I know there are going to be questions that we will have coming forward. But, um, you know, here on Counter Stories, we like to have this conversation as if we were sitting on a patio someplace or sitting in a living room someplace and just kind of going where the conversation goes. So so we're excited for you for you here. I have a starting question for you just coming in because I I, I know so many people, many of whom I serve uh, as is members of my 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 congregation, members of my community, both in the Twin Cities and in Duluth, who have new rights that are given to them now because they don't have to longer have to worry about all of these things as as uh, uh, former Commissioner Carter talked about last week, there are all these arbitrary things that get in your way and hang up your ability to even get off paper. Now those things are gone. Um, you know, we were, you know, from all the way to the point of charging people for being on paper, for not having gotten off paper and using that to shore up budget gaps. Like, as a, you know, they, we were doing things like that. Now, a whole bunch of those things have gotten wiped away as a restriction for voting. So I'm just, yeah. I, I'm curious, you know, you were involved in, in helping to, to be on the ground to move and push this thing through. Um, a lot of times we don't talk about what it takes on the ground to move some of these things through. So I'm just curious, you know, now that we're here, what are some yeah. of the things that we didn't see on the, in the, you know, as the, as the sausage is made, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got introduced to the campaign 2007. So right. that's what I learned about restore the vote. Um, I was working at Amicus and we were, we had our hands in a lot of things, you know, addressing formerly incarcerated folks and me being formerly incarcerated and, on 20 years of probation at that time, it made sense for me to be one of the voices. You know what I mean? Because it was like, wait a second, man, I'm paying taxes. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, I'm right. like, like looking at the laws. Um, by that time, I finished my 
criminal justice degree at Metro State. I was working on my master's and um, I was starting a family. You know, it's like I met my wife. I'm trying to figure it out. 2007, my career, my life, post-prison, all of that. So it just made sense for me to like step up and say, man, I really can't vote and I'm doing the best I can as a father, husband, all of these different pieces. And it really don't make sense. And, you know, behind closed doors, it was just really sad. You know what I mean? Because everybody going to vote, you know what I mean? People voted for Obama twice. You know what I mean? And I, and I had to like sit on the sidelines and it's like, this was somebody from Chicago. His his wife was from the projects I used to be in. It was, he liked basketball. He liked Jay-Z. <laughs> so, so the emotional piece, <laughs> I mean, the campaign yeah. part, part, but the emotional piece of, you know, my daughter's looking at me like, you know, why you don't got on the sticker? You ain't, you ain't vote today. And it's like, man, you ain't even ready for that combo. You know what I mean? Like, and that would happen so frequently because people think everybody can vote, especially if you've been around me. You're not thinking I got any of my rights withheld from me. You know what I mean? Because I don't act like I, you know, disenfranchised. I like really be trying to be quote unquote ordinary and normal, even though the, the experiences are not normal. They very abnormal to see everybody saying, you got down there, yeah, you voted. And it's some of my colleagues who knew me and knew my situation at one point. But it was a lot of hard work, man. I still got the original protest signs from the, like, the big ones for Restore the Vote. So 2008, I led the rally at the Capitol. Peggy Flanagan was one of the speakers. Bobby Joe Champion was a speaker. Maybe Keith Ellison. I can't remember. I can't, I can't, it was, I mean, we had a whole lineup. I hosted the whole thing, and that was 15 years ago. So the years where we weren't as strong, I still always did something, whether dropped the article, uh, op-ed, commentary, just to keep the beat going. And people always say, not this session. You know, they're not going to do it this session. And one of those years, 2016, 2015, 2016, it made it to a special session. Yeah, I remember that. It got close. I w it was like, man, oh, this is this the moment? Yeah, man. Everybody's on pins and needles. I had to go to sleep because I'm like, I don't do well with <laughs> looking at <laughs> looking and waiting. I want to y'all tell me what it is. But um, mm -hmm. I didn't like how they was like. It felt like what they was playing with the emotions of the people and stuff because everybody was like, yeah, we might do it. And um, unfortunately, it took a lot more years to actually get it done. So I'm grateful for Cedric, uh, Kevin Reese, Antonio Williams, Eli, all of them who, you know, was really throwing down. Anika, it was a lot of them. Janae Bates, you know, so for a lot of years, I was with the Restore the Vote Coalition. And when I became NAACP president of Minneapolis, that's when I really started helping coordinate the like student walkouts and stuff. One point we did six high schools walked out, South High School, Washburn. And uh, he got the governor's attention. He got, you know, Governor Dayton's attention. So we tried a lot of things. One year I did a Twitter storm. That was 2017. And it went crazy. Even Eddie Griffin retweeted it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. It, cra it cracked <laughs> off. It, 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 it took a whole mind of its own. Yeah, man. It got fun towards the end of the night. But it was like we tried so many things over the years. I'm just grateful for the people who always kept the, you know, kept putting a beat on the drugs because it just didn't seem like they were ever going to do it. You know what I mean? So I'm grateful that um everybody, you know, 55,000 got their voting rights back. So now, it's the, now that we've restored it, it's time for us to transform it. People need to know politically, who are these judges you voted for? 
who are these people where you got no understanding of what these races are? That political education is why I'm spending most of my time was saying, you might be in a small town, but if 20 of y'all vote in this election, you can swing it and use it to let, because before, Simon and all them weren't really talking to me about getting my vote because I, I didn't have one. So it was just like, why waste my time? Mm-hmm. So now it's like you can't overlook those formerly incarcerated people. Now, now you got to at least campaign where they at too. So it transforms it. So it ain't just restore. It's our job to make sure it's transformed to where it's like we hold the power. You can't disregard us no more. So, Jason, you said something uh, that the response you got year after year was not this session. Uh, yeah. Why? What was the excuse? What were the reasonings be- behind that? I guess that might have knew more than me politically. You know, Ilhan and all of them was over there every day, and I wasn't. So I, so I assume they understood the political climate a little better than me and just understood that ain't going to make it. That don't got a shot right now. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to spend time like even talking about that. So that's what made me really, you know, um, want to keep ending. You know what I mean? You want me? So some years where it was like nobody even introduced it. Nobody authored it. Nobody, nothing. And I still put energy into it, talking about Kirk Dowd, the Speaker of the House. One year we signed, we dropped a petition. Um, we got a bunch of signatures on that petition too. That has to be 2017 or something like that. But it was like the petition, man, we had so many signatures on the petition that the action was to give them to the Speaker of the House or the um, the person right under the Speaker of the House. And we caught them on their way to their office. And I was like, we want you to take these. And we got a picture of me handing her all of the signatures. So it was just stuff like that where it was like, I'm the kind of person where even if we don't got no energy, even if we don't got no people, I'm still going to do what I feel like doing about it. I don't care if it's me against 100 people who say I don't do it. So that's how I've always been, for better or for worse. You know what I'm saying? So I think um, they kind of knew the political... I'm just giving them enough credit to say they knew the political landscape better than me and knew that the climate wasn't ready for it. Even though some of us was ready for it, Minnesota wasn't ready to do it. Well, I, I think there's some important things that can't, you know, that come up. And you actually spoke to one of the things, uh, uh, you know, our, our episode uh, last time, Miss um, uh, Carter uh, spoke to, um, you know, spoke to this 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 element of how can you tell somebody, right, you have gotten your your right to freedom back again, which, you know, we already have issues with. Um, but how do you tell somebody that you are supposed to participate fully in society and all these types of things, all this, these, this dogma that we, we uh, espouse to folks once they've been released um, and then turn around and tell you that you can't exercise your full citizenship right. I mean, I heard you say, you know, I wanted to act, you know, be, be, be in society, be normal, but there's an abnormal thing that we're withholding for you and not for any real reason. There ain't no public health case for with, right. for withholding the vote, even while in prison, I'm 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 be clear. Uh, I don't understand why we're in a space where where when you're in prison you shouldn't be exercising the rights, uh, your citizenship rights. That that it doesn't mean okay. you're not you're you're not you're still a citizen even if you're incarcerated. So I I don't understand the tie that's connected there. And so there's I mean, a there's a huge disconnect for me. I'll say this: when Bernie Sanders came to the North Side, what year was that? 
Man, I'm oh, telling I remember that. This is when he came to North. But think about how that went. Like, people don't even know, like, the behind things of that. So, originally, I was supposed to be on the panel with Bernie. So, I was supposed to be mm-hmm. sitting up there, Keith Ellison, all of them, you know, for the conversation. But, like, two hours before, they said, you can't be on the panel. And it don't look like you're going to be able to get in the building. What? But I'm like, <laughs> dang, so it just, y'all just switch up like that. So, when I got there, we came up with the strategy for me to sit in the front row. And they brought the mic around to me to ask my question. So I'm grateful that the organizers was was able to do that. But I was ready when they brought the mic around. And I said, hey, I feel the burn. Like, if I could vote, I'd vote for you. Like, just straight up, I would. I was feeling the burn like everybody else was feeling the burn at that time. And, you know, I asked them, I said, you know, what would you do that'll uh, that, uh, help me get my voting rights back if you become president? And he stood up to answer. He wasn't standing up. You know, he stood up and he said, look, in my state, you can vote while you in jail. So if I become president, I'm going to be able to make it federally where all voting rights are restored. He said exactly what I needed him to say. And it was in the Washington Post and all of that. So I was like, yes, man, you said exactly (laughs) the thing I needed you to say. Like, it's crazy. We talking about restoring the voting rights where in in your state, you allow them to never lose their vote. So he he stepped it up a notch and saying, because people can't even fathom letting people in jail vote. And a lot of people, like, if they did the crime, well, why, why don't they just, like, deal with the consequence? It's like the consequence shouldn't include, you know, brown water. It shouldn't include um, just extra penalty. It shouldn't include the new Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just voting rights. I couldn't get a place to stay. So it's like, it, it's a lot of things. And plus, when I started college, because I had a drug conviction, I couldn't get no loan, oh, no, no payroll grants. So my first year and a half, mm. my first year and a half was all loans. So it's so many different things, even with like the legalization of cannabis. Mm-hmm. It's like a cannabis charge actually led to me getting a, a driving warrant. So... It, I don't really even know how to address some of these new changes. I'm just trying yeah. to learn as much as I can so I can inform other people as I get it. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's like we're not going to legislate our way to the world we want, but it is, like, important, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm always trying to figure out the ways that I can uplift it. But, you know, I don't know. I've been hurt by, you know, politics for a, <laughs> for a lot of years. So I kind of, like... <laughs> And you can't, is, you like, can't be I'm a person like, of color in America and not have been hurt by politics at some point. <laughs> Remember, in the 90s, we were super predators, and that was from a party that's supposed to pro- be proposing, quote-unquote, yeah. progressive values. So I think this important thing that you brought up when you talked about um, other states, one of the things that I've been finding fascinating is that the states that allow both uh, immediate enfranchisement upon release and voting inside prison don't mirror our our quote-unquote two-party political map. There are states that are Republican quote-unquote states that have this and it doesn't go, it doesn't follow the assumptions that come along with this. And I've I've been finding that fascinating how different the conversation about that goes. I, I expected this to be another political football in some of these areas, but I've got family members who vote who, who fight politically on both sides of the party, of, of yeah. these different parties on, on a whole lot of different issues, but are in agreement about this one that it doesn't make sense. And, and so I, I think it's an important piece of data that, that comes along with this. This, this uh, legislation 
means that the 1% of white people, 6% of black people, and 9% of Native American people, notice that Native Americans, again, are overrepresented, and folks who could not vote for this issue because they're, quote unquote, still on paper, change because this legislation is passed, 0.1% of white folks, 1.5% of black folks, and 2% of Native folks are, are don't have their uh, aren't able to vote now because of the passing of this legislation. So that's a drastic change in the amount of people to your point about now there's somebody there's a whole new constituency for us for to sure. have to contend with and care about. I think that's a really excellent point. Most definitely. People who have been incarcerated need to start pushing some of the agendas too. Cuz one thing about me when I came home, I didn't even know community organizing was an actual like a thing. You know what I mean? I always had a lot of people with me. When I started at Metro State, I had drug dealers coming to the school. I had all, all kinds of students who was rocking with me. I was president of the black student. So it's like, if I did run a campaign, I probably could have won and pushed a much stronger agenda, like pushed us a little bit further. So ultimately, I hope some formerly incarcerated people, and I know we've seen it through some years, but hopefully they can understand it well enough to really be in that space because they say you got to have tough skin to be in politics and all of that stuff. And I ain't interested in having a tough skin. You know what I mean? Like I like living a more peaceful life. I ain't trying to have all that transactional stuff on me where I give you this, you give me, I don't, I don't, I don't do all of that. So I want to support the person who do got the energy. Like Pac said, he's not going to be the person that changed the world. He just hopes to spark the mind of the person that does it. So that's what I'm trying to do with telling people like, Voting ain't going to solve all our problems, but at the same time, it do help us get closer to freedom. And I know from my ancestors who went through the Underground Railroad to get to Buxton, Canada, they looked at freedom as just the ability to be normal or ordinary. And that's what the, um, you know, legislation does. It allows me to get closer to that normalcy, for sure. You know, <clears throat> Jason, this conversation is uh, makes me sit here and think how... How um, an individual like myself who's never had my voting rights restricted often take that, that, that um, often take the fact that, that I could always vote for granted. And so even here on, on Counter Stories, we have, you know, I've mentioned that often as a, as a uh, man of color in this country, often because of our two-party system, that I often found myself voting, and I voted for every election, but I always felt like I was voting for the lesser of two evils. Absolutely. And so, and but to hear how you talked about that and, and having your vote restored and the power that that brings, it, it truly is there. And also your comments about, about uh, voting for Obama. You know, I mean... I, that was powerful, man. You know, and and even so, so it it just just moves me because I th most of us have family, yeah. That you know restored the uh, this action restored some votes, uh, yeah. restored those rights. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, what I what I remember about this campaign, and I remember your efforts. I remember when we first met. You know, they hired we we got hired together at Metro and we were in that cohort of of new faculty coming on at Metro and that's that's when you and I first met and you struck me as a very um 
you were the one person in that cohort that stood out, um, you know, and it, it, it just because of who you were and how you presented yourself. I remember uh, commercials that came out toward the end, close toward the uh, end of the, or during the time period where that vote was coming up for an actual vote. And one of the commercials that played, I thought, um, was brilliant because it pointed out the fact that the majority of Minnesotans who would get their vote back were brothers, sisters, nephews, cousins of white folks in small towns in rural Minnesota. Yeah. That, you know, because much like uh, welfare, I think... Politicians yeah. have done such a great job of painting this into a black-white issue, oh, yeah. and people have the impression that most criminals are black as well as most welfare recipients are black, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah. Now we are overrepresented. We are, you know, there's a disparity there because we are overrepresented. The police knock on our door than than going out to the, our our neighbors in, in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, despair, disparity wise, we are overrepresented in our prison systems, but, yeah. uh, but that's purposeful, but yeah. it still gives the impression that I think a lot of folks think that this restore, it, it was a black white issue. And as long as it was left in that imagination, it wasn't going to pass. Yeah. It just wouldn't pass, mm-hmm. especially here in Lily White, Minnesota, right? So, because <laughs> I was astounded that Florida, of all places, restored their vote years before we did here in Minnesota. Now, they 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 restored it, but that then part- DeSantis turned right around and restricted it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, you know, by, by charging, uh, by doing what uh, Anthony brought up, putting penalties on folks who couldn't pay for this, that, or the other. Right. So, but I was still amazed that Florida, and I shouldn't be because of the disparities that exist for people of color in Minnesota, surpassed Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and everywhere else down south. And so, you know, those kind of things shouldn't, but they still um, rock my boat. Individuals like you need to be commended because I remember all those things and 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 while I never threw my threw my weight into that into that discussion or you know I supported when I could you know if there were things that I could uh, support by donating here or doing whatever you know there's many of us in the background For that sure. would support efforts like that even though we weren't vocal yeah yeah that's real I think we all got a role and I just think the reason, and just appreciate all your kind words, Don. You know, the respect is mutual. When I came over there, it was nothing but love. I felt like I connected with you for sure um, on that journey. So appreciate it. Um, I think people can only really hold enough information to look at it as black or white. Are these people benefiting or these people? Oh, they get it and they don't get it they don't know how to like look beyond that. You know what I mean? So if they can't compartmentalize that, they just choose to just disregard it or throw their weight behind one side of it and just leave it there. So I think, um, you know, a lot of people don't do that. 
I feel like I'm always going to be a student. I feel like I'm always, always so much to learn. I got so much to like figure out. But I think the organizing power gets um, overlooked. You know, like Daryl and them who was organizing in Florida, like, I think they were surprised that they had passed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think, <laughs> but it was just like, man, think of the liberation that many of them felt. You know what I mean? It's like, we still try to get freedoms we were supposed to have a long time ago. You know what I mean? It's like they've used this system and people kind of forgot about the movie 13th. They stopped reading the new Jim Crow. They are not as, you know, inclined to see all of the penalties because the vote was one part. But if I'm, if I feel like this ceiling is going to keep me from even being able to like raise my daughter or these felonies going to stop me from taking a field trip, like, my my daughter's first field trip, she's 16 now. She beasting, you know what I mean? She PSEO in college. She <laughs> going to Normandale and high school. Just, I'm just proud of them, you know what I mean? But when they were telling me that I probably couldn't go on a field trip and be a chaperone, mm-hmm. I'm getting on that damn bus. I already mm-hmm. told my so I'm like, we're going we to have to figure this out. But I'm definitely riding that bus. Like, that's a fact. I already told my baby I'm going to be on the bus. And, um... So it's like, I, I'm happy we uplift in the voting piece, but at the same time, that three-fifths, being three-fifths of a person is real. And like my man Kevin Reese say all the time, it's days where he feel that three-fifths. Mm. So, mm. so it's like that for us where it's like, and I'm I'm removed from, you know, far removed from um, the system since 2016, at least seven years, you know, they kicked me off of the probation. Mm-hmm. I'm up for a pardon next year, so I'm applying in July. And that's a one-shot deal. So my challenge is with systems. Yeah. I'm not disconnected from the subject I teach at Hammer. Yeah. I want to steal what a prison on Friday because it's like I get legal visits where I can visit the people I'm trying to bring home. So it's like I'm so immersed in what I do. It's like the academic part is just me sharing the stuff I really do in my day-to-day life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think more people got to get immersed in the subjects while... um while trying to learn about it, get a practice for it rather than just stand in your mind in that theor- theoretical space. So Jason, um, Don and uh, Don and you both mentioned teaching. So could you just um, help us understand like uh, what you teach and where you teach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I teach um, in the criminal justice and forensic science department at Hamlin. It's just, a, it's just a, you know, I can be more of myself at Hamlet. You know, even though I graduated at Metro, um, Metro? it's just my department wasn't moving. Yeah, I still met my wife at Metro too, you know, in a course on prison. Like, imagine that, you know what I mean? But <laughs> things don't always work out how you want them to work out, but eventually they will work out if you stay persistent. So even at Hamlet, you know, I can introduce a new course. I could say abolish the police. I could say fuck the police. I could say whatever I want. So I'm grateful that, you know, Hamlet said you could wear hoodies in class. You can do it, you know. So I'm grateful that, you know, um, it went from them respecting my story of being from Chicago, getting shot up when I was younger, being involved in gangs and all of that stuff. They respected my story at first. And it's like 14 years of academia. It's like now they respect my mind. And I'm just grateful to live long enough to, you know, even get a chance to, like, showcase my skills like that. So it's just an honor to teach. You said, first, they respected my story. 
Now, yeah. after 15 years, 14, they respect yep. my mind. That, I yep. think that's an important piece to this enfranchisement that's happening with this legislation because now you have a whole lot more folks who are eligible. Now, we still have to, to you know, catch up, right? Because if you've had this long of folks saying, I am not even going to bother with anymore to try because it's, it, this barrier has been up for so long, it's going to take us some time to mobilize this 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 group and the numbers in many of the different states who have passed similar legislation have shown that they're the the on the on ramp is a little it's it's not fast it's not an immediate everybody turns around but i think there's some important things that to consider for the folks who may be listening who now have your voting power back what are some of the reasons to exercise that specific to you um i have several parishioners who run a file of um, issues where because you have had a record at some point in your life, you know, things come back to bite you much, much later. We have a huge thing. Our own Department of Health has some disqualifying reasons to keep you from certain certifications, licenses and things like that. And not just the, the Department of Health, but other places, other parts of the of the of the of our systems that haven't caught up with the reality. If if 30 years ago you did something that you've now been living, and this is what's coming to mind because you said now after 15 years, they respect my mind. I've got people who have spent 30 plus years as positive, active leaders in their community who go for something new, whether it be a CPA, uh, or not a CPA, but like a, um, a personal nurse. care assistant, PCA, nurses, like stuff like that. And the thing that they did is so long ago, but somehow something in our system triggers a lot of times auto automatically that yep. removes all this stuff, and then the Herculean, you know, uh, uplift that it takes to try to restore those things often end up in somebody figuring out trying to do something else with their life in the first place. And we hide behind yep. it under the guise of quote unquote public safety, but we yep. are just don't have a willingness to, to. So, so this is one thing alone that somebody could mount a, mount a campaign for, and you now have a whole lot of folks who are who will resonate with that and want to vote. What are some of the things that folks? That you have been registering or or, or hearing that th these are some things that folks might be getting excited about now that they've got this right restored. Yeah, uh, just you know, casting the ballot. You know, a lot of them register, but it's like to know until November they're not going to be able to like actually do it. You know, and that's a whole nother experience. You know, even for me, you know, I still I'm still getting accustomed to okay, you go in, you check over here, you you check in at this spot, they give you the thing. It's like, I be feeling like I'm cheating if I actually got to go on my phone. So I, I try and tell them, don't feel like you cheating if you don't know them names. Take the time. <laughs> it's more important <laughs> to not just pick from familiarity. Because some people would just say, I don't know neither one of them judges. I'm just going to pick one of them. It's like, man, you might be picking the one that seal your fate. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So mm -hmm. I always say, don't feel intimidated about a process because it's like you go in that small booth, tell you only write on this side and use the pencil. Don't go back and change. For somebody who not who didn't grow up in that process, I think before. I don't know, man, like when I was 18, I voted. I, I was I was 18, 96. I voted. By the time 2000 came, I couldn't I, I had no voting rights. It was like and that took me all the way. You know what I'm saying? Like, to 2016 before I can vote, and that did not work. We got the wrong person. <laughs> I'm like, how is this even fair? You know what I mean? So, I was blessed. Well, I didn't get my 
voted the rights restored with this, my judge agreed that I shouldn't be on 10 more years of probation. So I always try to find those loopholes and I try and encourage people, don't just look at the restoration. Look at how you get off probation early. There's the clause that will allow you to get off that stuff early. So I try to encourage people, look at how you get off it early so you can get some of those rights back. In 2016, I gave the state of Minnesota 10 years back. I'm supposed to be on probation in 2026. And I'm like, from 2006. So I'm glad the judge felt me. So I want y'all listeners to know there are other ways you can get some of your freedoms back. You just got to take the time in that law library or just Googling and seeing like the provisions that allow you to have more freedoms. So that's the part of, for me that gets exciting where I can say, yeah, you got your voting rights back. But do you got any idea of all the races you got to vote for? Do you have any idea of school board? Do that make sense to you? Like what you voting for or what school board folks do? Because I know some people who are professional, got nice careers, do all these great things, and they don't know some of the candidates. So I just try and, you know, get them to understand, man, still a lot of learning for us to do. And that can be exciting for a lot of us who like to teach. It's like, I don't mind coming through. I like, I ain't the most savvy at it, but you know, I've been I've been around the block with this restore the vote stuff. I worked in Mayor Carter's office. I worked there for what, 10 months, got appointed to that. So I do have some understanding of how some of these things work. And I was president of the Minneapolis NAACP. So I do understand some of the laws well enough to be able to be involved. And I just hope everybody, all 55,000 people have that same energy when it's time for us to go to the polls. Cause 2024 going to be a tough year, y'all. And I hope y'all really prepare for all the hatred and all the stuff that's going to be spewed because that's what I'm gearing up for. Speak the truth, bro. Cause you know, um, <laughs> and you're, you're absolutely right. We have to spend time, even though often Googling names isn't going to pull up. Uh, I think some of the information you really need to make that informed decision, yes. especially on judges. School yeah. board, you know, I mean, you know, the school boards you live in, yeah, I'll try to find out as much as I can because I don't want to vote for someone to school board who's banning books, yeah. right? Or yeah. banning things that are telling telling my history, telling our collective histories, you know, trying to ban that. I'm not going to vote for an individual <laughs> like that. Right. Two professors Judges on the things. line. Of course, and, academic freedom's going to come up. Exactly, <laughs> man. And, 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 and all, but also the judges things, you know, so many of us have no clue. And often only the incumbent is listed. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to sit there and make that decision. Do I vote for that individual or not? And since, and if you're not involved with the criminal justice system or anything, public safety or whatever, most of us don't have any experience with these individuals, so we really don't know where they fall For or sure. how they, you know, you know what I mean, how their rulings, unless it's, you know, these uh, kind of cases that 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 are um, uh, broadcast on news or something local, you know, that's the only only judges we we have heard of. Everyone else falls through the cracks. But you are absolutely right. It takes a lot of work to find out about those individuals and where they may lie because judges tend that information tends to be a little harder to get on judges because they 
They purposely refrain from being in the public because often a lot of their decisions impact individuals and they're not sure how those individuals are going to react to them if they're out in public. Absolutely. So, so, yeah. but it is key and it is important. And, um, and it does take a lot of work. It takes time and, and effort. But yeah. there are so many other things you brought up, Jason, that that an individual even like myself um, who doesn't have that kind of experience that how this beyond just voting restricted and impacted your life. Now, I was aware of it yeah. even when I worked for my reservation up at Mille Lacs. Yeah. Because often... You know, one of the driving forces, uh, economic driving forces in Indian country were casinos. Yeah. Right? And who was excluded from working in those casinos? Yeah. Right? Anybody with a felony conviction or anybody with almost any type of conviction. was sure. was uh, And so often those casinos and then tribal government itself are the economic engines that that reservations are able to use to hire their own people. But even in that arena, healthcare, I'm a social worker, social workers, anyone who had a certain types of convictions, we couldn't even interview. They yeah. couldn't. So we had many, as, as Anthony pointed out, you know, the, the disparities of native Americans that end up in prison and then return back to the res and can't even be hired on their own reservation. It's really? a huge, oh, it's huge problem. Yeah. It's a huge problem. For and sure. so, so now I'm I'm uh and now I'm thinking that you know this is that rub between where tribes are trying to do the right thing. They don't need to, you know, they don't necessarily have to follow state laws and rules, but the thing that holds them in that ties them to that. Is funding. Yes. Right? Is mm -hmm. that funding? And so tribes, I think, even, even as sovereign entities, need to look at that a little bit closer because they have the ability um, to make those kind of changes, to be able to employ and restore those rights for their people. Sure. But often it's tied back to money. That'd be another reason to vote. Another reason mm -hmm. to vote because you just talked about your so that sovereignty. We, we know because of the decisions at the Supreme Court level under John Marshall that that's a dependent sovereignty. So mm -hmm. you could have some rogue group of legislators remove the sovereignty status because it's be, in our Supreme Court space uh, a dependent sovereignty. It's dependent on the, the will of the United States government to uh, recognize it. And so I think there's there's some there, there's. There's all, it, it opens the door to a whole lot of things. And one of the things that I, I, I just know from all of the family members, all the friends, all the parishioners, the folks in community who have, who have been and are in um, the, the, uh, uh, the criminal justice system or who are, who are incarcerated in particular, right? Um, to have this thing that can be restored at the end yeah. already is a conversation amongst many of them to have conversations like this before they start, so so by the time they come out, there's like this motivation that comes in here now to to not only know the law. I'm sorry, the folks who know law better than anybody that I've talked to. Yes, I've gotten good advice from lawyers, but I've gotten some 
some, you know, not necessarily good advice. That's just that's the wrong word. But I've gotten things yeah. I never even thought about in yeah. a legal from a legal standpoint from folks who have to who are experiencing and living it. Absolutely. It's like, you know, I hated having that experience, you know. Um, I just never understood it. I'm like, yeah, somebody pulled a gun on me when I was 19. And I got caught with a gun in front of where I was staying just to protect myself. Like, it, they put a gun on four of us. And I'm like, what the hell? For me to end up in the workhouse, facing five years and all of that kind of stuff, I'm like, what? For me, so I never understood my penalty. So I think that's what sparked my interest in understanding the laws. Because every time I came out, I'm like, even when they arrested me, when I was like 19 to 20, I had Black, Black Panther stuff in my bag and stuff. My inventory at the jails, they used to be like, man, he got him a bottle watch, Eldridge Cleaver sold on ice, uh, Averex coat. My, my stuff used to look crazy. The inventory, when they take my backpacks and stuff, I used to be like, yeah, y'all want to understand me. I want to understand me. So I had to learn my cases really well because, you know, it was like in 98, I was over north and we were barbecuing and this cop ran out of nowhere and put like gauge to my face in front of all my friends. And I'm like, fam, is this something serious? Like what the hell? I just was saying, I wish I had more verbiage to say that to let them know I know this is out of pocket. But I'm like, I just don't want to get killed in this moment. And he puts just a bogus charge on me and my friend Blue. He charged us with terroristic threats. And I was like, oh, we definitely beat that. Like we're not out here threatening nobody or none of that stuff. It's like, we taking it to court. We had to fight that for eight months. And we both played out to disorderly conduct. Nobody ever said we threatened them. This was a case on a ghost. This was a case on a ghost. I was like, but we just had, we just got tired. Mm -hmm. I had to learn it. So I did it out of desperation because I tell people all the time, my uncle went to prison at 12 and came home at 18. So this ain't nothing new to me. Like, and my father was on drugs. May he rest in peace. My father was on heroin you know, from 16 to 62, and he, you know, overdosed last year on heroin. So this ain't no fight thing for me. When I'm in it, it's from a place of childhood trauma. It's from a place of, man, if I would have known they couldn't come to my hotel and just come get me, I wouldn't have been in prison for 40 months. So it's like the law has been used against me and wielded against me so much that if I don't understand it, I'm just prey to it. And Mahmoud El-Khati used to always say to me, he used to say, if you don't know your rights, you don't have any. Mm. And I'm like, dang, it used to, well, he said it never left me. He said that to me in 2005 when he wrote that letter of support for me when I was facing 10 years in prison. So shout out to Elder Mark Moon because he definitely was like, if you don't know your rights, you don't got it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm got to stand these books, man. I got to stand these books somehow. Elder yeah. Mark Moon got a way of putting stuff in there that just <laughs> hit you right right in the motivation center. Most definitely. <laughs> well, he's he's impacted so many of our lives. Oh. You know, and, and on Connor stories, I shared, you know, when I was at McAllister in, oh, yeah. in 73, 74, and I took that early American history class and had that white professor tell me that we don't study American Indians. Or if I wanted to hear more about in, Indians, I had to take an American Indian class, which yeah. McAllister didn't offer. But Mahmoud did. He took me under his wing like he did so many of us there. And, sure. 
and and begin that education, you know. And my and and it sounds harsh, but he's speaking that truth because he he put a, he put so many of us on the road to be aware of who we were and where we were at. Absolutely. Right? Even though we're in America, we had to learn where we were at. Yeah. 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 And I'm just grateful being formerly incarcerated and having all of that. Because when I met Mark Moulton and all of them, it was 2004. And he pretty much keynoted every event I had at Metro State that year. <laughs> I was just grateful, you know, for the support because I was formerly incarcerated. And people were saying like, you know, he got shot a few years ago. You know, people got shot around him, you know. But it didn't really, it didn't really matter. And you remember Kwanzaa Church? They had my back when mm-hmm. I was facing it. The whole church praying for me. So I know what it's like to have that agape love from the community. So that's why I show up the way I show up. I don't want to hurt nobody intentionally or unintentionally. And um, I'm just showing that we can come home and do it extremely well. And many of us never needed the cage anyway. So it's like, we got to understand, man, like, that's why I'm an abolitionist. Like, I care about my relationships and I care about how we address harm. So if we stay in that space and keep spreading that love, we create our own ecosystems and not have to deal with um, those systems of oppression. So the reason why I'm able to teach is because when I came home from prison, they said I could never teach kids. They said I could never have a job working with kids. And I'm like, I don't got no crime against a person ever. My mm. record don't have nothing mm. violent, but yet to the state, I'm a violent person. And I'm like, you don't got me for nothing violent. I got no co-defendants on my case. That fake case they put on me, that's the only time I had a co-defendant. So I'm like, my harm ain't like how y'all trying to make it seem. Mm-hmm. So Freedom School was the first people that gave me my teaching job in 2005. And I was, I would probably wouldn't have, the door probably wouldn't have opened because when the state told me I couldn't teach Mary the Wright Edelman, my mm-hmm. eldest, we'd love for you to teach mm-hmm. third through fifth grade. And I was like, I ain't trying to complain, but can we go a little higher? I want to go on third grade. I want to go third grade. But that, that, that was where the need happened, that formative space at third grade developmentally. I Look, I, I know exactly why she asked you to do that. I, I'd have done the same thing. But, but you, you, you bring up uh, you bring up such an important piece because I think one of the other benefits, there's the direct benefit of the people who are enfranchised. There's the direct statistical benefit and all the things that we've talked about. But I yeah. think this also does, and you're wearing, uh, for those who are listening, of course, you can't see this, but but Jason, you're wearing that humanize my hoodie. There's a humanizing effect to this enfranchisement that also matters to matters to you know, to, to a whole lot of folks in that it's causing us to even question why we do what we do one of the challenges that we have and i'm saying this as a pastor so you know i know that there are some things that we haven't challenged in a long time and are unwilling to challenge because it's what we've done for so long that i need us to start asking some questions about why do we do what we do there is you know there are so many things that we do that to have no real public health reason. They have no statistical reason. They have no societal benefit reason. Uh, I said, I keep bringing this up and I'm beating this over, over the head with it, but I'll never forget being on a call with prisoners in Denmark. I think it was Denmark. Um, and I'm sitting here talking to a cat who just looks like they're in, a, in, a, in an apartment. There's a bookshelf. There's a, there's a little kitchenette. There's a, yeah. a, a chef knife set behind 
Um, yeah. And I'm sitting here wondering when the prisoners are going to show up to the call so we could talk to them. And he, and he was like, I've been here the whole time. What do you mean? And we're yeah. sitting here thinking, because we have a picture of what it means to, quote unquote, incarcerate and rehabilitate. And this person, um, uh, some, some of the men on the call were uh, had committed violent crimes. Some of them had committed murders. Some of them had, had, had um, but the majority of them had, you know, weren't. Um, it was it was interesting that a majority of the folks in there weren't nonviolent offenders because it offended them that we would think that they as a country would lock up somebody who hadn't committed a violent crime. And we've got some things to to uh, to question. Yeah. Yeah. You look at Sweden, Norway, all of them. Um, yeah. And of course, their communities are different and, you know, stuff like that. But at the same time, we're not going to and incarcerate our ways out the problems. Like mm -hmm. Angela Davis said it best. That's not a place you put people who could have social challenges. Like that's not the that's not the solution. You in a six by eight or a seven by nine, that's not healthy, fam. Even if you can get through it and muster up the strength, the psychological damage on that, no stimulation, crummy food, water not good, and you just sitting there thinking for years and years. And not only that. We got innocent people behind the wall. That's the thing that like really hurt me, where it's like they got all the evidence to show they shouldn't be there. But I'll say this, and I'll let I'll pass it back to y'all. For years, I have been saying we could let more people out each year. For years, even with the JDAI stuff, I was saying, no, you can let adults out way faster. You don't even have to lock up some of these people. I know y'all saying sins and guidelines and all of that stuff. And I've been preaching it for years. And when COVID hit, what happened? They started letting, they, they couldn't figure mm. out how to get people out fast enough. And I'm yep. like, why, why we got to even play this game? Why we got to have a pandemic for you to even like consider what we were saying years ago? So even though we might be on to something, might be saying the right thing, unfortunately, it takes some people a while to catch on and get it from an empathetic standpoint. Some people can get it conceptually. But a lot of times they don't reach their heart. It's just a topic. I was just thinking, like, listening to this conversation with you and your stories and just kind of all these other aspects that people don't think about when you have a felony charge, right? Like not being able to go and chaperone a field trip and all these sorts of things. I think that the importance of this conversation is for people out there who are unaware of the details of such a thing, who think, oh, you know, they're out of prison, they get to vote, great. Or, you know, they're out of prison as long as they're done with probation. How long can probation be? Five years? No, you just told us your probation was 20 years for a non-violent crime. People think yeah. felonies, murder. Everybody must have murdered someone if it's a felony, right? I mean, there's this whole like ignorance or... Um, yeah. vision that Americans have about what a felony is, who can, yeah. you know, who are the ones who are getting felonies and why they shouldn't get these privileges and hearing stories firsthand like this really opens their eyes to the humanity of yeah. it, you know? And I think that that's why this conversation was so important for us to have was just to really expose Folks, you know, I, I was working the state fair for Ampers a lot this year. And a lot of the, the comments I got about counter stories is people, you know, white people. Hello, white people listening. Thank you. Who would say things like, 
I feel like you guys are sitting on the couch talking and I'm a fly on the wall. So I'm, you know, I want to share to those fly on the walls. There's so much more into this than just the right to vote. Yeah. Right. There's so much more to this than just that. And that in of itself is so important for so many reasons, having the right to vote and learning how that affects your everyday life. Absolutely. So now, you know, as in 2014, I believe it was, we got the ban the box uh, yeah. law passed in Minnesota, which was that you can't ask an, an applicant if they have had a felony until after they've passed the first round of applications. Um, so we Minnesota is taking steps, really far apart steps, but steps. Um, yeah. So what what is what is the focus now moving forward? Yeah, yeah. Even even with that ban ban the box, we really didn't get what we wanted. And if you look back, it was my story then <laughs> in 2014 <laughs> for the ban the box that. You know, I was one of the leading voices on that at that time. So shout out to everybody, Second Chance Coalition, everybody who believe um, that I should speak on that. So I think it's really about, you know, like uh, Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without a demand. And Charlene Carruthers took it a step further and said, power concedes nothing without an organized demand. We got to get more organized. That's what it is. You know, it's like, you know, small towns where they releasing people out, you know, wherever, wherever they are, Iron Range or wherever they are, I'm always saying like, y'all studying for when it's time to vote, right? Y'all know it's going to be critical. You might think your vote don't matter because I know a lot of people still like, man, I ain't voting. It's, it's rigged. All this stuff is, mm -hmm. and there's truth to a lot of that. A lot of it is foul. But for my ancestors who died for that vote, for my ancestors who got lynched, I'm not about to let them down. So that's why I always tell people, man, you got to do it, man. I know you've been locked out, ain't been able to vote, don't know who's going for what. You don't trust any of them. You still got to cast a ballot because it's people who really made the ultimate sacrifice for you to do it. So even if you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for the ancestors that lost their lives. Absolutely. Voting's your voice. And, you know, man, as long as we're going to quote, we know we know that silence is still a choice. You still are saying something if you even if you choose to remain silent. So, so I appreciate you bringing this perspectives to us. And this conversation has been illuminating for me. Uh, this has been another episode of Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Holly Lee, owner of The Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Malak Spano Ojibwe Indians and associate of Dendros Group. And our guest today. Jason Saul, abolitionist. Thank y'all for having me, man. It's been dope. Anytime y'all want to do it again, just hit me up. All right. We'll look forward to being on the couch with you all next time. This has been Counter Stories. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.